I want to pause parenthetically in our study of the worship God rejects, because this is such a sobering study, and it is so good to be sober-minded. It is good to have a clear-eyed look at the way things are and to understand the precious nature of the gospel and the truth that is in the gospel. Um, I personally uh, found that without truth, no one can become whole. You You certainly cannot grow in Christ's likeness. Let me say that again. Without truth, you cannot grow in Christ's likeness. And this is what's at stake here. Paul said in Galatians 4.19 that he labored in travail, or he labored as a woman in travail uh, for his dear children until Christ be formed in them. That is the longing of every true pastor. Every true Christian leader is to see Christ formed in the people to whom he ministers. And I am a personal testimony to the fact that in 1973, I came to Christ as a result of the Jesus movement. Some of you might remember that. It was a a holdover from the hangover, really, from the rock in 60s and the drug culture of the 60s. And uh, many of us uh, heard the gospel and responded to it and uh, had an initial experience with the Spirit, which uh, affirmed that we were, in fact, genuine Christians. The problem was that there was no theology in that. There was no instruction in that movement. Uh, There was a lot of uh, good and even sweet fellowship. There was a lot of um, craziness, too. Uh, And, of course, the movement eventually faded and ended. Uh, And the people who were part of that movement were dispersed amongst many and diverse and sundry different churches and denominations and, and, um, uh, and so on and so on. Some people uh, who weren't actually believers at all but were part of the movement as part of every movement has people who get involved just for the sake of being part of the happening. Those people um, just can fail to continue in the faith and to prove themselves, therefore, uh, to never be Christians at all. So... Um, but for the most part, um, my personal testimony is, is that I, that lack of theology, that lack of truth, because it's not just theology we need. <laughs> we need truth, and we need biblical truth. And, uh, and I was a mess. I mean, I have been using drugs and alcohol and been sexually active since I was 14 years old. I had been in... Um, uh, involved in in gangs and violence, and it it was just not a pretty uh, teenage years for me. I was depressed. I was full of anger, Um, and so when I came to Christ, I did have a very powerful uh, initial uh, conversion experience, and I was, in truth, in Christ, Um, but I lacked teaching. There was no pastoral care available in the Jesus movement. We all just kind of hung out and sang songs and prayed together and read our Bibles, even though we had no idea, most of us, what we were reading or how to read it. Uh, and then I went into a, um, uh, a well-known Pentecostal denomination in which the experience of the believer was emphasized far more 
than the uh, integrity of the text of Scripture. Uh, we were never taught. I was in that I was in that denomination for twenty years, and I don't remember ever being taught how to read my Bible. Uh, I was I don't remember ever being taught the importance of the truth as is revealed in the text. And so truth became very subjective. It became very akin to the postmodern mindset in which truth is simply uh, subject to our own interpretation. And as long as you had this um, spiritual experience, as long as you were having this kind of um, uh, buzz, I guess, the lack of, for lack of a better word, in the experience in, in the so-called worship, quote-unquote, then you were, that's all you could expect. So you went to church two or three times a week, and you had fellowship groups and everything, but you were looking for that, that buzz. You were looking for that, that subjective experience. You weren't looking to hear the truth. And it's good because if you were, you weren't going to find it. You found a lot of crazy things going on. That's when the, uh, the dispensationalism had taken hold, and so there was, there was a lot of speculation and um, hysteria around the late great planet Earth and um, <laughs> the rapture. Uh, there was a lot of uh, teaching around um, prophecy and, and much akin to the uh, hyper-charismatic movement today. And, uh, and, it, and inevitably, it led to a lot of destruction, a lot of, uh, of moral decadence, quite frankly. Because without the truth, you're not going to grow spiritually. And without spiritual uh, growth, and you're not growing in Christ-likeness, then you are certainly going to do something. Something's going to give. And what happened is there was a ton of moral failure in the church that I was in. There was a ton of really subjective, wild-eyed, crazy prophesying going on, and it just burned me out, just wore me out. And so I sought refuge then in a um, more historical denomination, which was quickly going liberal. I didn't understand that at that point, um, but I do remember uh, in 1997, I think it was, or 98, I had uh, an interim pastor of this denomination take me to lunch uh, because they had asked me to teach adult Sunday school, and I was doing that, happily to do it, and I was teaching uh, Romans, and I was quoting Luther and Calvin and doing all the right things. And uh, But this pastor took me to lunch, and he asked me to quit teaching on justification by faith alone. He said, we really don't teach that anymore, and justification, we understand now, comes through uh, relationship with the community, with the church itself, and uh, this was a reformed denomination. <laughs> I was just astonished. I mean, I didn't know where to laugh or cry. I, I thought I had finally hooked up my spiritual antenna to some place that had something to offer my family and I, and it didn't. And so, and so I once again I came to grips with the fact. That we are, as we are learning in this study, that there is this propensity to take the voice of God in the text and modify it to produce some kind of pseudo obedience to the word of the Lord that allows us to accommodate personal agendas and human traditions and then to. Um, cover it up 
with some kind of alternative worship that you also cannot find in the text. And then the crazy-making part of it, the um, spiritual gaslighting that goes on, is they represent it to you as if it was God's truth. They represent their traditions to you as if it was God's truth. And so you may ask questions. You may have questions about how to grow in Christ and how to walk in the Spirit and how to study the Bible. And, and what you oftentimes will get, you get a, a confession shoved into your hands or, or, or some kind of uh, theo- theological, uh, systematic theological book shoved into your hand and say, here, read this. And, and so you're, you're reading a lot of the writings of men but you're not being taught how to listen for the voice of the Spirit within the text. And so um, by 1997, 1998, I realized that I was going to have to do this kind of on my own if I was going to find it, because I couldn't, I couldn't trust uh, that I could just walk down to the local church uh, and join and expect that I was actually, my family, family and I were going to receive pastoral care of the quality that we desperately needed. Because you cannot go from a life of drugs, alcohol, trauma, codependence, addiction, active addiction, to a life of walking in Christ and walking in the Spirit uh, through the guidance of the Scriptures overnight. It just doesn't click. Uh, To come to Christ and be baptized, there's not a switch that gets flipped. And suddenly, all is well. But you would think so. But what happens is that these Protestant traditionalists are no better, no better than the hyper-charismatic guys and women at, at offering you something less than the truth as it's revealed in Scripture, in Scripture alone, and then representing themselves as doing just that. They're saying, this is God's truth. You can't hand me the Heidelberg Catechism as a substitute or the Westminster Confession of Faith as a substitute for teaching me how to read the Bible. I even heard a watch day YouTube video not long ago of a Baptist, a Baptist pastor, who was commending that we should offer new converts a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith because a new convert, his rationale was, will not understand how, they, how to read the Bible. They, they'll read the Bible, but they won't understand it. So if we give them a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, at least they'll have some idea what the Bible says. I, 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 listened, I listened to that video, and um, I was nauseated. To listen and to love the scriptures as the exclusive, unique, and final authority is evidence that we are walking by the Spirit. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the the Spirit and the Word. They're inseparable. They're distinct, but inseparable. The Word is inspired by the Spirit. And we're not going to find fellowship with the Spirit outside of love for the Scriptures. It just doesn't work that way. My charismatic roots taught me that much. 
But then there's this propensity to simply quote the text without reliance upon the Spirit as well. And that's what the Protestant traditionalists do. And then they, they, they pervert the text, they twist the text to, to be able to fit their tradition. And then they'll hand you their tradition instead of the truth. And what happens is that if you need the truth, which you absolutely do, to be able to come to some point of spiritual maturity and to grow in Christ-likeness and get free of the pollution of sin, as well as the penalty of sin, then you're not going to find it. And so I ended up in Bible college myself, studying to learn, asking questions, begging these my instructors to teach me one thing. Teach me how to read my Bible. Teach me how to hear the voice of the Spirit in the text. I had been told by my Pentecostal uh, teachers early in my early adulthood that I needed to listen to the Spirit. Well, that's good, but how, where, what, and when? And so you ended up into all this subjectivism. You end up in all this emotionalism. You ended up people telling you all the time, the Lord told me to tell you, or the Lord said, the Lord said this, and the Lord said that. One fellow even said, you know, the Lord told me that the New York Giants are going to win the uh, Super Bowl or something like that. Consider the New York Giants, he said, the Lord told me. See, that's a nonsense. That's a silliness we, we get into when we separate the Spirit from the Word or the Word from the Spirit. So, I just want to share that, that, that we are about truth. I am about helping you come to grips with truth. The truth has set you free. There are not many versions of the truth, but you would think so. With the number of denominations and with the splits and the divisions, even within Protestantism and Evangelicalism, with the two dominant systems of theology in America being the dispensational system and covenant theology, neither one of which are grounded in the truth of Scripture, but in the writings and uh, presuppositions of the traditions of men. That's just a simple fact, folks. I know I may be offending some of you when I say that, but uh, I had to be offended too. I had to be offended long enough to be able to look at my own charismatic tradition and realize how unbiblical it was 98% of the time. And I also had to come to realize that my my time in the Reformed tradition, that there was so much about what they were teaching me that I could not support biblically. And I began to develop a genuine passion and jealousy for the integrity of the gospel. And I was outraged by how easily men in their cunning and scheming uh, simply think they have the prerogative to take the text out of its context and proof text their tradition and then tell me they're giving me God's truth. That's what we're up against. And it's a version of the truth. It's a pseudo-obedience to the word of the Lord. And, it, and, and you will never, ever come to spiritual maturity, find freedom from the pollution and demands of the flesh and sin, and come into some point of wholeness in your life with that kind of 
teaching. It's just not going to happen. So that's why it's so important. I just wanted to share with you, as kind of a sidebar in our series here, my own personal testimony. And my work now as a counselor, I, after Bible college, I went to seminary. And in seminary, I went to earn my doctorate. And, and all of that wasn't done, not so I could impress people with my credentials, but because I was so desperate to understand not only the impact of church history, but to understand how better to read my Bible and how better to hear the voice of the Spirit in the text and come into that the fullness of the wholeness that Christ has for every one of his, those who belong to him. Now, I want that for you. I would like you to be able to avoid the pitfalls, to avoid some of the wanderings that I had to go through and the sufferings that I had to go through in my own spiritual journey and have more direct access to from conversion to maturity. Have it be a little more direct path, a little, a little bit of a straight line, <laughs> even though none of us really follow a straight line. We, we tend to be kind of up and down and around. And it's a narrow road, <clears throat> and there are pits on both the left and on the right, and uh, that narrow road only has room for one set of footprints. And that footprints that we follow are not our own. We follow the footprints of Christ, those blood-stained footprints. And we do as he did. Jesus was jealous for the, um, for the word of God against the traditionalists of his own day. So that's what we're up to. I'm really happy that you're listening. I'm really delighted that you've joined me in this series. And if you've been with me for a while, I'm just excited about that too. Thank you. And um, I'm happy to hear from you. Uh, EncounterRecovery at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, EncounterRecovery at gmail.com. And um, let me know your questions, your concerns, and um, uh, or you just want to offer a Attaboy, I, I'm always open to those. <laughs> I'm always open to an affirming word by a good-minded, uh, a good-hearted person. So, so thanks for listening. I just want to share my own personal experience with that. There's nothing more precious to me today. Nothing, absolutely nothing more. As, as much as I love my wife and family, my children and grandchildren, um, and my friends, uh, there's nothing more precious to me than the ability to hear the voice of the Spirit in the text. And it's the ability to do that on a daily basis in the rejoicing and the joy that that gives me, that keeps me growing in Christ. And in fact, it is the root that allows me to have the, uh, the fruit to love my wife and family in the way that God would have me to. So I want that for you too. Thanks for being with me. Amen.